This is tax update number 10 for August 13th, 2005. Today's tax update is home is where the energy goes, the non-business energy property credit. Today's tax update is intended for tax professionals and is not designed for those not skilled in independent tax research. All readers and listeners are expected to do their own research to confirm items raised in this presentation before relying on the positions presented. This podcast and this document may be reproduced freely as long as no fee is charged for the use of the document or the podcast. Such prohibited use would include using this podcast or document as part of a CPE presentation for which a fee is charged. Today we're going to talk about the Energy Policy Act of 2005, and one particular provision put in that act we'll look at today, so we'll keep the podcast relatively short. That'll be Section 25C, the Non-Business Energy Property Credit. Now, this credit, like many of the other items in this bill, is effective beginning in 2006. So clients don't have to run out and do this today. In fact, should not run out and do this today. However, clients do need to be aware that these provisions are coming up and they should be ready to work with them as the time comes forward. The non-business energy property credit is a credit of 10% of the price paid for certain improvements. And this is for a certain energy-efficient property that's purchased and installed during 2006 and 2007. The credit is limited to a lifetime limitation of $500 total, so 5000 in expenditures. And there are further limitations that subdivide this so that certain types of expenditures are limited to certain amounts. So we have various limitations we have to deal with here. Basically, there are two types of property that qualify here. We have qualified energy efficiency improvements and what are termed residential energy property expenditures. Each of these types of expenditures are granted the 10% credit. We have the two classes because different rules apply to each and different types of expenditures come into each. We're going to look at these two various credits, but both of them are limited essentially to use for your principal residence. Now, the term qualified energy improvements, as defined on page one, means any energy efficient building envelope component, whatever that will mean, which meets the prescriptive criteria for such components established by the 2000 International Energy Conservation Code as such code, including supplements, is in effect on the date of enactment of this section. Now, it does this provided you meet three requirements, and this is found at section 25, cap C, uh, number CAPSI A1. That is, such component is installed in or on a dwelling unit located in the United States and owned and used by the taxpayer as the taxpayer's principal residence within the meaning of Section 121. The original use of such component commences with the taxpayer, and such component reasonably can be expected to remain in use for at least five years. Now that's three separate tests. Let's consider each one in sequence. The section 121, the residence provision, uh, requires a couple of things. We're going to have to meet the primary residence test of 121. We don't have to meet the 205 issue, but we have to have time running essentially on the two years out of the five. So we have to be in the property and it counts right now as our principal residence. And it must be in the United States. Now, the client will need to be careful because there is maybe an inconsistency that many clients will run into here that they need to watch for. If the client is going to claim another residence 
uh, for exclusion under 121, they could be caught between a rock and a hard place. This particular credit is only going to apply if that property was their principal residence. You may find the IRS and a judge somewhat skeptical if you tell them this was your residence during the time we put in these energy efficient windows, but it wasn't our residence when we went back to sell the property. When we went back to sell another property, even though we can't show any events that tell us why one became and one wasn't our principal residence. Be careful, some consistency will be required here. The second test was the original use component. Now that language is awfully similar to the language we saw in section 168K, where we first talked about original use. What that means is essentially we can't get used equipment. We have to originally use the property, so we must originate the use of the property. Therefore, I can't acquire used components and have those qualify under this provision for qualify energy efficiency improvements. So we can't trade the component around the neighborhood, shall we say, in order to make this happen. Finally, we have the five-year use test. My suspicion is the component reasonably expect to remain in use for at least five years was meant to prevent us from getting certain simple maintenance components into the mix. However, as CCH points out, certain maintenance components like caulking, if they can meet the requirements under these rules, could qualify because we would expect the caulking to last for at least five years. Therefore, this could meet our expenditure. However, the five-year rule could cause us a problem if we were expecting to replace the property, meaning basically junk it within that period. You need to watch and be careful how this goes. So we need to be into that area. As well note that it has no mention of allowing the expense of installation or similar costs. Now the other half of this credit that we'll talk about later specifically mentions that. What does that mean? Well, it seems reasonable to suspect the IRS might conclude that Congress mentioned installation expenses in the second component, where we start talking about residential energy property expenditures, specifically because they didn't mean generally for installation type expenses to be included. What that may mean here is we wouldn't necessarily get them. We might. It's open. The IRS could interpret this in either way. But for the moment, I would suspect that a client should be counseled that it would not be surprising to see the IRS decide that Congress did not intend those to be in here. Now, notice we have this issue so that we have to have the use of the property commencing with the taxpayer. Note as well that while we have to own and use the property the time the transaction takes place, nothing tells us that the five-year period when we expect it to be uh, in use, nothing there seems to indicate that we have to be the one to continue to use it. Therefore, it would appear, though we may get further guidance on this, that it could qualify if the expenditure were made as part of the fixing up component of a transaction that was going to sell the property uh, to a new buyer. So if you incurred these expenses in fixing up a property for sale that was your residence at the time you incurred the expense, it would appear you might get the credit next year or the year following. Again, an interesting question because it does not appear that we have to have the five-year period be our five-year period. It just must be something we'd reasonably expect to stay there for five years. Okay, the next big problem is to figure out just what in the world is a building envelope component. That was a neat term that Congress put in. 
Well, Congress defines in Section 25, Cap C, C, little c, 2, what the term building component means. And it means, we get into four pieces here. First one, any insulation material or system which is specifically and primarily designed to reduce the heat loss or gain of a dwelling unit when installed in or on such dwelling unit. Exterior windows, including skylights. Exterior doors. And any metal roof installed on a dwelling unit, but only if such roof has appropriate pigmented coating, which is specifically and primarily designed to reduce the heat gain of such dwelling unit. So what we end up having here is a new acronym, the Building Envelope Component, which is thrown about to give us the definition of these four items. One other quirk is the only item in here that is limited is exterior windows. The credit for exterior windows defined in section 25 cap C, little c, 3b is limited to $200 lifetime for exterior windows. All other components, all their building envelope components could use up the entire $500 credit. So, uh, so for windows, once you spent $2,000 on the windows, you basically stopped your credit. So if you improve your windows, put in windows that qualify under this, then you've still excluded the, you've met the credit. A second class of items is added here called residential energy property expenditures. Those are defined as section 25 cap C D1. And there it says the term residential energy property expenditure means expenditure made by the taxpayer for qualified energy property. Another term we'll have to define which is installed on or in connection with a dwelling unit located in the United States and owned and used by the taxpayer as a taxpayer's principal residence within the meaning of Section 121 and originally placed in service by the taxpayer. Such term includes expenditures for labor costs properly allocable to the on-site preparation, assembly, or original installation of the property. Note, we have the same essential residence test that we had in the previous section. So again, we've got to meet that. However, we don't have the use test any longer. We, we only have the originally placed in service test. Note as well, that suggests that the property could have been used by somebody else. It could have been used before we have it. We just have to originally place it in service ourselves. It can't be, we can't acquire it as part of the property that was originally placed in service by somebody else. As well, in this case, the code specifically allows for the expenses related to installation of the equipment. Well, now the problem is back again to well, what is this equipment? And now we're back to the check to see uh, what that term qualified energy property means. It's defined by Section 25, Cap C, D, 2A. And that tells us the term qualified energy property means energy efficient building property, qualified natural gas, propane, or oil furnace, or hot water boiler, or an advanced main air circulating fan. As might be clear, that first term, energy efficient building property, seems to require a bit more definition. As well, it seems quirky that we have that broad category and then two specific subcategories. Why do we have them structured that way, which seems a strange way to write a law when they just say qualified energy property means and then have a section that listed everything? Well, the reason for that primarily is because each one of those three components has a different limit. Each one is limited below the 500 level for each type of the property you buy. So each time you buy one of these pieces of property, your credit will be capped. You can't burn the whole 500 on any single expenditure in this area.
we have a limit of $300 for each item to find as energy efficient building property. Thus, at $3,000, we max out on that property. $150 for any natural gas, propane, oil, furnace, or boiler. $1,500, therefore, is our max out there. And $50 for any advanced main air circulating fan. So we hit the maximum credit once we spend $500. We get the detailed list of qualified energy efficient building property at section 25 cap C D3 uh, 4 and 5 has all the lists. D3 is the one with the energy efficient building property listed. And that list contains the following items. Each of these items must meet very specific efficiency standards. These are technical standards. You or I are not going to be able to look at a piece of property and decide if it meets it. The client is going to have to get the representation that this meets the standard from the individual selling it, from those selling the products, and that it meets the specific standards in question. But if it meets standards, the following items can qualify. Electric heat pump water heater. An electric heat pump. A geothermal heat pump. A central air conditioner. A natural gas, propane, or oil water heater. Again, these must meet specific categories as well. The other two items, the natural, the hot water boiler that was discussed and the advanced main air circulating fan also must meet some very specific conditions to be considered a qualified one of those. Note, not every furnace, not every air conditioner, not every heat pump is going to qualify. It must be one that is specifically energy efficient and meets very specific standards. Be careful and warn your clients they need to be very, very sure that anything they buy that they believe is going to be eligible for this credit truly is and truly meets the standards in question. Now there are various special rules here that we have to deal with. What Section 25 Cap C does is get most of its special rules by reference to companion Section 25 Cap D, E4 through 9. 25 Cap D deals with solar energy items. But there are certain limitations that are borrowed. And what we have here, the limitations mainly come from over there, paragraphs 4 through 9 under section 25 cap D, E, uh, 4 through 9. But what we have here is, and then we add one of our own under section 25 C that deals with a special case that's not as likely to happen over under the solar energy one. Now, the first issue is what happens if I and someone else own my residence? I own a residence. Another taxpayer also owns a residence. We have a joint ownership. How do we handle the limitations? Well, Section 25 Cap DE4 says essentially we look on a per residence basis. So if the two of us own the residence, the limitation is going to be on the residence. So that means that between the two of us, we can have no more than $500 in credits on that residence. So we have to take a look at, if I spend $5,000 in 2006 on qualifying expenditures and get a $500 credit, my co-owner will basically have a problem the next year because we'll be getting into the, I should say, if I spend $5,000, if my co-owner also spends $5,000 that year, we're not going to get $1,000 in credits for the two of us. Rather, each of them will be reduced. We'll each get half of whatever credits are allowed. 
that means you compute the overall. So we look at the overall, we look at it as if we were one taxpayer, compute the limitations and all the expenses, and then prorate out based on what each of us really paid for the various improvements. So if I paid for all the window improvements, I get the amount allocable to the windows. If my co-owner paid for some other improvement, my co-owner gets allocated all of that. If we split the windows, we each would get half. The way it will work is under that structure. Now, there is a companion provision under Section 25C, E2, that deals with what if I and my neighbor, two residences, go in together and put an energy-efficient property that applies to both of our properties. But, uh, you know, we have two residences, so each one of us has our own residence. In that case, we do get to treat it twice. I get to consider my share of the cost. My neighbor gets to consider his share of the cost. The costs are properly allocable to each of our properties. So if I have two properties, if there are two properties in the mix, I and my neighbor have done it and we jointly own the energy efficient improvement, then we split the, we split the credit. We split the expenditures based on what each one is properly allocable to each of our properties. Section 25D, 5, and 6 provide some rules for cooperatives and condominiums. As you might guess, for a cooperative or a condominium, we may very well find that the expenditure is going to be made on an overall building. So we're going to put an improvement in that improves the building, but basically it'll be paid for out of the common funds. Well, that may or may not, that needs some help here. What can we do? What the law says is we get to split that. So if the condominium association or the cooperative does an improvement that qualifies for this, that improvement will be split among the various owners of the cooperative or among the various owners of the condominium association, management association. Those, in, those individuals will split their costs. Now, an interesting aside I've not been able to run down yet to make sure, and this may be totally off the wall, but it would appear at first glance that if it's not a condominium, but a homeowner's association, the credit wouldn't be there. Now, that could be unfair in a case where, for instance, the condominium association has a standalone facility, let's say a recreation center, which they put an improvement in. Under literal reading of this law as I read it right now, that would seem to qualify for splitting up among all the members of the condominium association. However, if the same thing happened, for a homeowner's association, it does not appear that gets split. It would appear in that case the property will fail and there will be no such split. Now, my take is Congress very well would likely correct that difference. I think the problem was Congress was looking at a condominium as kind of an enclosed unit and the theory of being a large high-rise condominium where we would have improvements to the overall building, much like a co-op. They weren't necessarily thinking of the structure with a more open structure in a condominium association where you might very well have separate buildings, separate structures, and things much more open in a condominium more by name, uh, not the giant high-rise structure that they may be thinking of. And in that scenario, you could see there may not be a huge difference in the improvements to that condominium association's recreation center standalone and a standalone recreation center for a homeowners association where each person owns their own single family residence, not attached to each other. 
but those entities would not appear to get this credit. Now, that said, this is a brief exposition, and I'm not in any way an expert on homeowners associations, but it would appear to me that this could be a problem under the law or a quirk. Again, I would expect it to be fixed, and I would expect the fix to be Congress would deny it to the condominium association if that comes up. Finally, there's a special rule here. If not more than, we must have more than 80% use of the item for non-business purposes in order to get the full credit. And consider the whole expenditure. So if I use less than, if the property, for instance, I have an office in home, but less than 20% of the use of this improvement will cover my office in home. Either it covers the whole house and my total office in home is less than 20% of my house, or it may be more than 20% use, but it only is going to apply the portion of my house that's not my office. Uh, then I could get the full credit. Otherwise, I've got to prorate it between the part applicable to the business portion of my home and the portion applicable to the non-business, and the credit will be available only for the non-business component. And that's an 80% test. Now, Section 25, Cap CF, does require that if you get this credit, you must reduce the basis of the improvement to the property by the credit allowed. Only makes sense. I spend $5,000 for improvements. I would normally add 5000 to the basis of my home. However, if I got a $500 credit, we will reduce that $5,000 increase in basis by the $500 credit. So we don't get the credit. Or we get the credit, but we don't get the basis and the credit. We lose one of the two. Now, there are other provisions in this law that obviously are significant, but we want to keep this podcast down to a reasonable length of time. Therefore, I'm going to suggest that I may be looking at the other provisions next week, especially at this moment, considering looking at the solar energy provisions, since those are of special interest here in Arizona. And we would be looking at some of the other issues and the automobile issues as we move forward on this law. It's also extremely important to keep in mind that these provisions generally come into play in 2006. So your clients who want to rush out and do something right now need to be cautioned. Don't rush out. I know you read this is in the law, but don't rush out and do anything yet because it only applies beginning next year. So if you do it before the end of 2005, it's not going to reduce your taxes next year. It won't do a darn thing for you. Wanted to remind you again that I will be speaking at the Arizona Society of CPAs luncheon on September 20th at the Hilton Garden Inn, Central and Thomas here in Phoenix. If you want to attend that, go to the Arizona Society of CPAs website. They have the registration information there to sign up for the lunch. Uh, you get to pay your fee, get your CPE, and get a lunch out of the deal. So that will be coming up, and this is on the new Circular 230 Opinion Standards. You may want to take a look there. Uh, also be working on various other items over the next few weeks. Hopefully this podcast is working for you. I have added a section at the back of the materials, which are on ezollars.libsyn.com, that you can go get. And again, get the materials for this. It has some of the printouts, some of the information of what had been discussed. That's some information about using podcasting and also how this podcast has been assembled. So you have that information if you're interested in that area. But I would suggest looking at getting podcatching clients. They are very useful for this purpose. Uh, and finally, I wanted to say that I was doing all this while listening to a rather 
interesting eclectic radio station over the internet called RadioFreePhoenix.com. If you haven't listened to them and you're here in the Valley, it's a very interesting place to go listen to music 24 hours a day, live, live broadcast, live DJs. Kind of an interesting thing to go listen to. So if you haven't heard Radio Free Phoenix, you might take a look over there. May not suit your taste, but hey, take a look, see what you've got. Again, this has been the Tax Update Podcast number 10 for August 13th, 2005. This one dealing with the non-business energy property credit that apply to residential structures.